Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is September the 5th, 2019. This is episode 2503 of the Survival Podcast. Today we're going to talk about gardening. I'm actually going to give you 20 crops to grow. And we're doing this from a specific angle, but I'm going to tell you before I tell you what the angle is... If you are not interested in the angle, it won't even matter as long as you're interested in growing nutrient-dense, high-value, high-dollar return on your investment food in your own backyard. If you want to do that, the fact that this stuff is low-carb, i.e. good for keto, paleo, Atkins, all that stuff, is just extra. It, 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 it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter at all. It's still a show on 20 great crops for you to grow. You can just add in potatoes and corn if you want to. All right? And you probably will figure out by the end of this show that, like, well, that doesn't necessarily make economic sense. That's the, that's the beauty of this. This is going to be a high economic value garden that we're going to put together because people don't think about it. But one of the most expensive things, especially if you're going to buy organic, that people pay for if you price it per pound is lettuce, especially mixed salad green lettuces and things like that, or even broccoli, especially when it's you know quote unquote out of season or what have you. Um, it, it's it's crazy. I mean, you go in, you buy a five ounce container of lettuce for let's say two dollars and fifty cents. Okay, well you just paid about nine bucks a pound for lettuce. You can buy some pretty good quality ground beef for that. Do you see what I'm saying? And, you know, how long, if you do want to do a cow in your backyard, how long does it take to make that cow into steak? About 18 months if you start with a you know, new calf. Even a pig takes about seven months to grow out. If you start with a small, you know, small piglet, you buy as a, a starter piglet that's at least weaned, a weanling, and uh, put it out on grass, the best you're going to do is about six to eight months to get that pig ready to slaughter size. And maybe a little longer if you want to put a little extra ass on that pig and get some good bacon off of it. Well, we can grow a lot of the crops that we're going to talk about today anywhere between 15 days to initial harvest uh, up to about 50, 55 days. Most of the stuff, there's a few things that are a little longer than that, uh, but most of the stuff that's longer than it has, then it has an extended harvest that goes on for a full season. So... There is just a, a, a tremendous economic advantage to focusing on the things that also happen to be low-carb. Why am I doing this show today? Most of y'all know that for about 24, 25 days now, uh, I've gone full-on keto, and I've done a step beyond that that I've never done before, which is I'm not drinking at all. I'm not having any alcohol while I'm doing this until I get down near my my goal weight is certainly until I get down to, I have two goals basically, a stage one and stage two, and I won't have a drop of alcohol till I hit stage one, and then it'll be like I'll have a beer every other week or something uh, and know that I'm cheating that day. Uh, but I'm going to stay on this until I get myself where I belong, and pretty much I'm going to eat this way the rest of my life. But that's not why I'm doing this. The reason I'm doing this is whenever I utter the words low-carb, keto, um, paleo, uh, protein power, 
Atkins, Whole30, anytime any of that comes up, the first thing that happens is a deluge of emails come into me. And there's two questions that are asked. Not necessarily every email asks both, but every email asks one, the other, or both. And the first question is, well, then how the God of hell are we going to prep for f with food? If we're not going to store rice and beans and dried potatoes and wheat and pasta, which is all the cheap stuff for high, you know, for high storage, calories, etc., how are we going to prep without that? And my response to that always is, you can still store rice and beans because you can store that shit for 25 years. So if you really think you need to go beyond what you can do without storing that, just put some five-gallon buckets up and you got that. And yeah, I'll eat it too if the shit hits the fan and the zombies march. Okay, I get it. If we have the end of the world as we know it, I'll live on rice and beans until the zombies are dead and until we can grow uh, regular food again. That's fine. Um, but we don't really need to talk about that today. What I want to talk about is the other question. Well, then what do I grow? And I always find this one crazy because the majority of things that people do grow in their gardens, as you'll see today, are keto, low-carb friendly anyway. You know, with the exception of like potatoes, sweet potatoes, and we we're going to talk about growing them today a little bit for another reason. Um, wheat and corn and soy and shelling beans and like maybe black-eyed peas that you shell, like except for that stuff, it's all relatively low-carb. Vegetables are low-carb. I think what happens is people that don't understand low-carb living get locked in on the fact of bacon and eggs, and they think that that's a diet of nothing but bacon and eggs and eating 5,000 calories a day of bacon and eggs and hamburger. And that is not keto. That is not paleo. That's not any of that stuff. Um, when you eat a, a, a balanced plan that's in any of these genres, you're eating probably more vegetables than the average American eats. In fact, I would guarantee, especially if you realize that French fries are not a vegetable, If you remove French fries and, and, and mashed potatoes from the equation of vegetables, and we actually talk about vegetables that have leaves, right, then the average person eating keto or paleo or Whole30 that's actually doing it right is eating way more vegetables, and by the way, way more fiber, which is what everybody says isn't true, than the average person in America today. It's just a fact. And you can't look at it without seeing that. Now, Let's say you want to eat potatoes and pasta and stuff. Go ahead. If you, I, I don't tell people how to live, but don't you think having all this great vegetation in your diet is good for you as well? Well, even the even the mainstream media, even the mainstream medical and, and, and pharmaceutical nutritional world will say all this stuff is good to have in your diet too. So everybody wins today. That's what I'm going to get at. We're going to talk a little bit about livestock. I'm going to go through that really damn fast, but just want to pay a little bit of homage to that. And we're going to do all this... And we're going to try to knock it out in under an hour today because i got to do two shows today. I have a, uh, a an obligation to some friends who lost a family member tomorrow. I have to go to a funeral. And it's one of those things. I hate funerals. I don't like to go to funerals. I will not miss this. These people have been in our lives a long time. They've been supported us for a long time. And when Dorothy's father passed away, they, they were at our funeral to support us. And funerals to me are not for the deceased. They're for the family. And we will be there tomorrow, so I have to knock out two shows today. So i got to do an expert cancel show today, too. So I'm going to move kind of quick today. Before we jump into it, though, I do want to do a quote of the day for you today. And the person I'm quoting today is somebody that I didn't really think I'd quote very often, and I probably won't, but I love this quote. And it's from Kurt Cobain, who sadly took his own life many years ago. Honestly, um, not my favorite genre of music, But I really loved Nirvana's music, even though it's a little outside my wheelhouse. And I considered Cobain just a musical genius. 
Um, he said one time, quite famously, in fact, wanting to be someone else is a waste of who you are. On one note, I wonder, I wonder really if part of why he took his own life is because he didn't follow his own advice. I'm going to tell you right now, even for me at times, the world is full of people with fantastic advice that don't take their own advice. And it always leads them to trouble. And I think sometimes when you really know what you should do and you give great advice but you don't follow it, it's actually worse because you know that you're wrong. And I think another thing out of this quote that has a lot to do with any type of lifestyle change, and I've been talking about that a lot lately with the Keto Diet Playlist that I have a link in the show notes today, is that people sometimes create a false version of themselves. They become very attached to that version of themselves, and they can't let go of it. And that could be, you know, you've created a persona for yourself that's a party animal that doesn't want to let go, that type of thing. And it, it is almost inevitable. It's maybe not always, but it seems like I would guess, you know, 90-plus percent of the time that when you create that first per false persona and then you play that part, it's almost always detrimental to your life. And so there's the actual act of being someone else, and then there is languishing in what life you have and wasting your dash because you desire to be someone else. And either that someone else is someone you should really be. It's your true self, and you should go out and make it happen, or you should stop wanting to be that thing and be the thing that you're truly meant to be. Um, I'll tell you another quick thing here that just recently happened in my life, and I may need some help. Any of you guys that are around the... Pottsville area of Pennsylvania that's where I'm originally from I have an uncle that just took his own life and uh, don't worry about me I was not close to this man but he is my father's brother and my father's got some issues he has to deal with now because he's his only surviving relative and so now there's a house to deal with and stuff like that I may have to take a week and go to Pennsylvania to help my dad and I got a feeling that we could probably use a few people that can help move some stuff so if there's anybody in the general vicinity of Pottsville um that maybe could help us out on a weekend, let me know by email. But I also look at this, and I know that my uncle created various personalities for himself, almost to the point of having you know a mental disorder with it, and I'm sure that it had at least something to do with it. So don't want to be someone else. Be who you are, and on top of it, make sure that what you want is who you really are. Because otherwise it is a waste of yourself, and it seems that that often leads to some of the most self-destructive things that you can do. On to better things. Let's go ahead and talk about, um, just as I enter this very, very briefly, what the hell does low-carb mean? When I say low-carb eating, am I talking about living on bacon and eggs and, 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 and biltong? You know, uh, no. It, it, depending on the plan that you're on and the stage that you're on in it, you're generally talking about 20 to 40 carbohydrates a day. And you're generally talking about getting the vast majority of your carbohydrates from vegetables. And when I say vegetables, I mean leaf vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, etc. And that actually is a large amount of vegetables. It takes a ton of you know, vegetables to, to add up to 20 carbohydrates. Now, generally getting a few here and there for some other things, but when we're in that mode of eating, we're actually eating a very nutrient-dense, veg, veg, plant-based diet by volume, and we're mostly fat-based in keto 
by calorie. So if you look at a plate from one of my recent postings that show what I'm eating, you see a massive salad. So by volume, just pure volume, how much space it takes up, it's like half the plate or more. And then your fat and protein will make up you know, the other one-third to one-half of the plate because the protein and the fat are very nutrient-dense. So I just want the only thing I really need to say about the, the type of eating at all today And if you're doing something else, you might be heavier toward the protein, which I believe is a reason people fail. And I know that sounds crazy, but we're not going to go into it today. But I'm just trying to make clear that this is not, we're not talking about eating just fatty meat and pepperoni. Okay, We're talking about eating a very balanced, very nutritious, very healthy diet that I believe personally is, is akin to what human beings ate for most of their time on the planet. And that means that animals are involved. So I just want to say a little bit about animals before we go through my 20 best crops for the keto gardener. And I think the, the things we need to be looking at for home production is you're looking at chickens, quail, ducks, and rabbits. That's the best thing for the most people. With quail, we're looking at meat and eggs, and we're looking at a six-week, and really it's about nine weeks from the egg popping out of a butt to a head coming off of a young quail for culling, to a meat product, okay? Um, and it's an outstanding meat. The weakness with it for keto is it's low fat, especially if you're not plucking, which most people that do quail, they're not that hard to pluck, but people just don't want to do it. If nothing else, what you can do is you can, you can pluck your breasts, um, And, and, and de-breast with the skin on and then pop out your legs. And that gives you a little bit more fat. Um, I'm going to say that rabbit also goes into that low fat. And all we got to do then is when we're cooking these things is use cooking fats, cooking oils in our cooking and combine them with other things. And we'll talk about some other things today that could easily do this that maybe can absorb some of that fat, hold some of that fat, and up the fat content, right? So... There's nothing wrong with wrapping that quail uh, breast in a piece of bacon with a couple of jalapenos stuck in it. All of a sudden, the fat problem's gone. Uh, chicken. Chicken is a mixed bag. Chicken is actually a low-fat cut and a relatively moderate-fat cut, both that can be enhanced with other fats if we're going to go for meat. So with meat on a, on a chicken, we've, of course, got our dark meat and our white meat. And you got wing, kind of an extra thing. You got breast, and then you got your leg and your thigh quarter. The dark meat on quote on chicken, especially chicken that maybe you raise, that's a meat chicken, that's designed to be a meat chicken and well fed and well pastured, is going to be pretty decent. Still might want to boost it. Your white meat is really lean, so we got to defy conventional logic if we're doing chickens, and we got to get rid of the idea that the skin's bad. Because the skin holds most of the fat on, on almost all poultry. Ducks, same thing. If you are using ducks for meat, then you want to keep the skin. And it's worth the extra time to pluck ducks. And I don't really think that unless you have a processor and you're grazing a dedicated meat duck, ducks are really not the best thing in the world as a meat animal. Personally, I think that ducks and chickens make best egg producers And you eat your coals. And if you're in a situation where you can have roosters and you have birds naturally reproducing, you eat your roosters. I mean, with your with your your chickens, right? And stick to eggs. And your quail, your chicken, your duck, the egg is the main product. Think of it like 
Think of it like aquaponics. Everybody focuses on the fish, and the lettuce that comes out is the crop. The fish is a byproduct. With, with chickens, I think you can do really well raising dedicated meat birds, okay, if that's what you're doing because you have an eight-week cycle, and if you have a processor that will take care of it and pluck and part, and you end up with leg quarters and breasts skin on, plus cores to make stock, it might be one of the best paleo, primal, low-carb, keto things in the world you can do as long as you add fat when you're cooking the white meat. And it's probably why I'm you know, going to get into spring and do at least a 25 chicken run this year myself. Um, rabbits are just straight up a meat animal. That's you know what they do. There's some other things you can do with fiber with certain rabbits and all, but from today's perspective, it's a meat animal. Again, you add fat, and you've got an incredible great source of protein, but you do not want, if you're trying to eat keto, to have the majority of a meal, the calories come from rabbit protein. You want about 40% of your meal protein. But, you know, again, this is for everybody today, so it's just a fantastic protein. Rabbit starvation is not a thing. It's bullshit. Rabbit starvation came from starving people eating starving rabbits in the middle of winter in the middle of the mountains where they were getting no fat. Rabbits were not a problem because it was too much protein. It was the absence of fat in a diet that caused that. Anybody that tells you otherwise is, is either stupid or ignorant. And you can cure ignorance and you can't cure stupidity. And ignorance is okay because remember what we said yesterday. You have to be ignorant in order to learn. You have to be ignorant of the thing in order to learn a thing, or you already knew it, you didn't need to learn it. So that's okay. Pigs, cows, goats, sheep, all wonderful, require more effort than we want to talk about today. All of it provides fertility. And I think if you're going to be a gardener, having some livestock somewhere that provides some fertility and some recycling mechanism of excess production is wonderful if you can do it. I'll leave it there. Now, I want to go to the good news for these 20 crops. A lot of low-carb vegetables are high-dollar and high-turnover. So my first thing I'm listing is lettuce. And let's just take an example of what does a big bag of organic lettuce mix. So we're talking, you know, maybe it's got red romaine, green romaine, maybe a little chicory in there and some other stuff. But it's basically a mixed bag of lettuce. And it doesn't seem expensive if that bag's five bucks. But if you throw that bag on a scale and it's eight ounces, which is kind of common in that world, especially an organic product, you just pay $10 a pound for lettuce. Now, there's a lot of cuts of beef that are under $10 a pound. I mean, not your prime choice, best, high marbled ribeyes and whatnot. They're up there at 10 and more. But, man, there's a lot of stuff. You can definitely buy pastured chicken for under $10 a pound. So if I told you to grow chicken, you'd be like, well, I can make a return of my investment on that. If I tell you to grow lettuce, you're like, it's lettuce. Let's contrast it, though. What can, we can grow lettuce, and once we get a cycle going, where we have a, you know, a time that we're starting seed in little containers, and then a time that we're planting up, and then we're harvesting leaves on a cut-and-come again, and we know exactly, you know, for this row of lettuce, probably it's going to go in on this day, and I'm going to be able to get three, four, five cuttings, whatever it is, depending on what you're growing. And then so I know when to start my next group of seeds, I can almost go continuous, and I can be harvesting continuously for almost all four seasons in most, most climates if I do it right. And that means that every time that I, you know, so when we're making a salad now, now that we're doing keto and we have to eat more, 
you know, we're going through that half pound of salad greens between Dorothy and I about every two days. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means if that's even five bucks, that we're at about, what, $15, $20 a week if we have to buy it all in greens. Let's call it 15 30 every two weeks, $60 a month. You see where that goes? $720 a year in lettuce. And you can grow it all for almost no money. How's that for an ROI? So I just wanted to start out with that. It is an ROI. So let's go through my 20 best crops. Uh, leaf lettuces. So when I say leaf, and you can grow any kind of lettuce you want, but I really think like your bang for the buck, like I just said, and your mass variety is growing leaf lettuce. So it's real obvious. Leaf lettuce grows kind of a leaf to maybe even like a loose head, like a romaine, I would still categorize as a leaf versus a head lettuce, where a head lettuce you know, grows a solid head, like an iceberg that you go to the store and buy really stupid cheap. And the beauty is any type of leaf lettuce is going to work on that cut and come again. So your biggest leaves on the outside, you cut those, your middle leaves become big leaves, your little leaves become middle leaves, and you've got new growth. And you can get a lot of cuttings. So to me, leaf lettuce is the way to go. And growing a variety, and I'm saying six, eight, ten varieties of lettuce, and more different colors, shapes, textures, the better, because that makes that really beautiful mix, right? And I don't have a lot on herbs today, but you can certainly consider herbs that are leafy, that go in like like green basils and stuff like that, sweet basils, to be a great thing to just throw in with all the leaf vegetables. Now, here's the thing about this lettuce stuff. It's about a half a net gram per ounce, as in 0.5 net grams of carbohydrate per ounce. And the beautiful thing of all your leaf vegetables, once you have your leaf vegetables kind of cut up and bite-sized and ready to go stored somewhere, one loose handful is about one ounce. So one, two, three is about three ounces, which is about three cups, which is about 1.5 net carbs, and probably somewhere in the neighborhood of what you need to be eating per meal if you're eating two meals a day. And it seems like a lot, but like I just said, it is a lot. And other things can be mixed in there like we're going to talk about now, but you're at a half a net gram per ounce. You're at a high dollar, about $10 a pound for organic. Next is spinach. And organic spinach sells for about the same as lettuce, and it goes right in that mix. And again, we're back to half a net gram per ounce. The downside with spinach is in many climates, you are going to be seasonally limited to when you can grow it. Lettuces do bolt in the summer, but by using shade, shade cloth, going into aquaponics and doing deep water culture, um, being strategic, you can probably find some varieties of lettuce that will grow through most of the year. And what I wanted to say on lettuce is I, don't, I totally believe in pelleted seed for lettuce. I think that the advantages far outweigh any perceived disadvantage. Anybody's like, well, that pellet could be toxic. It's clay and shut up. And also, it's a tiny little speck of material, right? So pelleted lettuce seed, to me, allows you to go, here's a container, one lettuce plant. Here's a container, one lettuce plant. Most people do two seeds, do a plant in case one doesn't grow. I say make 20 to 25% more plants than you need. That's going to be less seed. And then what doesn't grow, it doesn't matter. And you just use that container for your next crop and keep doing the same thing. So pelleted lettuce seed. We go to spinach, we have a much bigger seed. So the problem with spinach is that even though it's a nutritional powerhouse, it has a lot of micronutrient, it tastes really good, it's great in a salad. 
uh, it's, it's a half a net gram per ounce, just like most lettuces, is that we do have that seasonal limitation. I'm going to give you an alternative crop for my number three. But I want to also point out one of the big advantages of spinach. And I've seen people grill romaine lettuce and all. It does not appeal to me. Spinach is a wonderful vegetable because it makes a good salad vegetable and it makes a good cooked vegetable. And I think if you don't like cooked spinach, you probably grew up eating spinach that came in a bag or a box out of the freezer section and it tasted like slime. Spinach, if you're going to cook it, You get your leaves, you get them, you know, if they're baby leaves, you just use them as they are. If they're bigger leaves, you cut them into kind of a little bit big for bite-sized pieces to do this. Whatever you're going to cook them with, throw them, like you can kill the heat that you're done cooking, throw them in and, and wilt them in. And in everything from, you know, meat dishes to egg dishes to whatever, spinach is amazing. Now, what do you do in the summer? Well, what you do is you grow a, another crop year-round, and it is probably my favorite leaf crop because it is incredibly good to eat. It really produces two things for you to eat. Um, it is absolutely delicious in a variety of ways, and in southern climates like mine, it is damn near perennial because it's a biannual. And if you're thinking beets, you're on the right track because it's in the same family, but it's Swiss chard. Swiss chard grows for two to three seasons. Sometimes here it goes to seed in the second season, but sometimes we can hold it to a third season before that happens. And it produces a really nice thick stalk and a great leaf. The leaves are good raw, chopped up in salads. Again, it's about a half, it's actually a little bit more. It's 0.6 net grams per ounce. Okay? Uh, so six tenths of a gram per ounce. Which again, an ounce of loose leaf is about a one handful, one loose handful for an average person. If you're an NBA basketball player, you're probably picking up twice as much. And if you're little bitty hands like Trump, you're probably picking up a half ounce. You can use your scale and figure it out. Um, but you get that leaf crop, and that leaf crop is good raw and cooked. It's good in stews and soups. It's good wilted like spinach. It tastes different than spinach to me when raw and almost the same when cooked with a little bit more of a bitterness, and I mean that in a very, very good way. Um, it is basically a beet crop. It's a, a something, there's even one variety called silver beet. Um, though the roots just, they do kind of grow into a big, pointed, carrot-shaped, ugly tuber. I've never tried eating the roots of one. Maybe I will sometime, but no one seems to do it, so it probably ain't worth doing. Um, but then you got that stalk that almost looks like colored celery, and it goes anything from a light green to a bright red. That stalk, if you're going to cook it, should be cooked separately from the leaf because it can cook a little bit longer, develop a little bit more flavor. It is a component that if you don't cook it too long or you start to cook it really down, it actually tends to, like as it sheds water, take in fat. So if you're eating something like, let's say, rabbit or leaner chicken cuts, and you're cooking them in, in, in a fat to compensate, if you take chopped uh, stalks from uh, Swiss chard, celery is good for this as well, and you add it you know, a little bit before the end so that it softens but doesn't cook the crap out of it, it will pull a lot of that grease with it. And it, whatever's left, when you make that serving on your plate, drizzle that grease over it. And it's just fantastic. 
Uh, so Swiss chard, mustards, and I don't mean the stuff that comes in a jar, though it is the same stuff by seeds, but mustard greens. They add a spice and a bite and a pleasant bitterness to your salad mixes. We're back to half a net gram per ounce on the carbs. If you're looking at that, very easy to grow. Tons of varieties from you know tender green, which is like the classic southern mustard, to uh, Asian varieties, to, to reds, to purples. And color is good. We want as much color in our life as we can when it comes to our vegetables. And we do that for a couple reasons. One, different colors have different nutrients that are dominant. It's part of why it's there. But color, we, we are, as, as beings, we look at things and we know. We have pattern recognition that we develop, but we also have what I believe is intrinsic pattern recognition, which means that all human beings have certain patterns and certain things that they're going to be attracted to and recognize. And when you show somebody a salad with four or five, you know, two, let's say two or three colors, but four or five different shades within the color spectrum versus just a salad that's greens, which one do they want to go to first? And because we intrinsically know that there's more nutrient diversity there. We don't think about it consciously, but internally our bodies are hardwired to know that. So by adding these things like chard and mustards, and colored lettuces, and more textures. Not only does our food taste better and have a greater, more diverse nutrient profile, it's more appealing to us and we enjoy eating it more. And then we don't feel deprived, like people say. The next one I have is the only perennial, at least perennial in North America, that I have for you guys today, and it's asparagus. And asparagus is basically a fern. And if there's a limit to asparagus, is it takes up a fairly large amount of space for what you get. You only get your shoots, because what, what asparagus is, is a fern comes up, and it's a lot like, if you've ever forged fiddlehead fern from the, the forest, it's pretty much a domestic version of that. It's a totally different fern, but it's pretty much a domestic version of fern fiddleheads. So that shoot comes up in the spring, and what we do is we go in and we break it off. And we can only break so much off, because otherwise we're going to deprive the underlying crumb, which is the the... the the, the plant itself, the underground portion of the plant, the root system, the rhizome, but it's really not a rhizome, it's a chrome. You can look it up if you want to. Um, and if we deprive it too long, we'll kill it. So we have to plant it, let it grow for a season, then we only get to harvest short in the spring, but it's very carefree, and it doesn't have a lot of weed problems because when you let your asparagus grow out to charge up the root system and to get bigger and all that, you end up with a giant, beautiful fern plant. And that fern plant is so dense that it's, it, it, it kind of chokes out anything from a growing underneath it. So it pays for itself. Seven-tenths of a net gram of carb per ounce. Um, and it's just a fantastic tasting and relatively expensive per pound uh, plant to grow. Uh, incredibly carefree. The next one you're getting a bonus because I've lumped three together. Broccoli, cauliflower, and Brussels sprout. And Brussels sprout probably should go with cabbage, which will be next. But I just decided, like... You kind of grow all three of these the same way. And it's up to you what you want to grow, because I do not care for cauliflower. Um, and, and that puts me out of a lot of things people do with cauliflower to make like a mashed potato substitute or something like that. But there is just a flavor in cauliflower I do not care for. I may at some point figure out how to season it to hide that flavor so I don't taste it. Uh, but right now it's not in my life, and it's certainly not something I value enough to grow. Broccoli I love. Broccoli, I, I just think, is one of the greatest, most incredible plants that we can grow. And broccoli is a twofer because most people don't realize that broccoli greens are pretty similar to kale or collard green. 
So you can actually start using the leaves of your broccoli as you begin to deplete the head capacity of your broccoli as well. I don't do it a lot because I grow enough other greens, but it's there if you want it. You have a bigger family or what have you. And it, it, it tastes like kale. If you like kale, you'll like broccoli, broccoli greens. And the small little ones that come back from the center, they're a lot like a young baby uh, kale. So you can even eat those raw and kind of enjoy them. Brussels sprouts, I've spent most of my life thinking I hated until I had them like grilled really hard with a char on them or uh, done properly. When you steam a Brussels sprout, it stinks. You overcook a Brussels sprout, it stinks. When you take Brussels sprouts and cut them in half, hit them with some bacon fat and roast them, they're pretty amazing. They are None of these are really that expensive, though broccoli can be at times, but they're easy to grow. The, the limit is they are a seasonal crop just about everywhere. Now, where I grew up in Pennsylvania as a kid, broccoli in particular, we planted as early as we could. So even when there's a little bit of frost, but you're past the heavy freezes, um, just because it kind of stunts and it doesn't do well if you plant it too early. And they would grow through the whole summer there up until about August. Here, I get like one good crop of broccoli off of a broccoli, and then I get side shoots like once or twice, and then it starts bolting. But it also grows when everything else doesn't want to. I mean, I could plant broccoli here in February, and it could be done by April, and other things can be planted next to it. So it works well. So you figure out how it works. Um, but all of those together, they have a different amount. But it's between 0.8 and 1.25 net grams per ounce. So great crop to grow. Next up, kale and cabbage. I kind of lump them together, even though they are quite different. Um, kale, I'm not a huge fan of. That's probably why I don't eat a lot of broccoli greens as well. Of all kale, I like the Lanacinto kale the best. My favorite way to eat kale is either braised with bacon grease or some other good fat uh, or sliced into ribbons and added to a soup. I actually like it that way, especially the Lanacinto kale. Again, they call it dinosaur kale. Cabbage is a different animal from y'all together. I like cabbage. Whether I make a, a coleslaw with a little bit of apple cider vinegar and some other things, or do a sauerkraut, or just you know cook cabbage into something like they call it a uh, you know um, uh, egg roll bowl. Uh, so you can make a very Asian themed kind of egg roll filling. What would go inside an egg roll, uh, but just don't put it in an egg roll and just put it in a bowl. It's really good that way. I like cabbage on um, on tacos. In you know, well, you can have tacos. You know, we're not gonna get into that. There's ways to eat taco like things. Um, but cabbage to me is just an incredible vegetable. Um, to me, the problem with cabbage is it's quite a while for cabbage to form a head and it takes up that space for that entire time and it's not expensive. So cabbage is something that if you have a big garden, seems to make a lot of sense, especially to grow in your fall and spring or maybe even winter gardens. Um, and it's something you can grow when a lot of other things won't. Um, but For people with smaller spaces, maybe doing all wicking beds, aquaponics or something, cabbage may be the one you want to buy. Next up today is green beans. And my biggest advice with green beans is grow highly disease-resistant varieties. Um, like Jade 2 is a great variety of green bean to grow. And pick them young. So we know beans can get really, really big. Well, legumes are generally thought of on, in low-carb, paleo, primal, keto world. Legumes bad, right? And not necessarily so, depending on how they're prepared, how much you eat, how often you eat them. But overall, we're going to stay away from most of our legumes. So then green beans would seem to be like, what the hell are you talking about? Well, 
if we don't let a green bean fully develop to the point where it has a big bean seed inside the pod, what we're eating is mostly the pod. And even if we do, we're still looking about one net gram per ounce at the average size a green bean is picked. And the younger you pick them, the more that goes down, the less of a legume and the more of a green vegetable it is. The beauty of green beans is, one, they are extremely low-carb. Two, they are nutrient-dense. Three, they are easy to grow, especially if you grow disease-free varieties. Uh, they are a long-season crop. Most varieties that are disease-resistant, if they're bush beans, are also ever-bearing, means they produce lots and lots of crops. And actually, the more you pick, the more they make. So if you want a lot of green beans, pick often, and you'll get more beans. And when you pick them bare, the, tr the plant's like, shit. I have no way to reproduce my species now. I got a flower again. And as long as it's got pods on and everything's going well, it's like, okay, I made some kids. I'm good. I'm going to sit here in the sun and soak it up and enjoy my grasshopper life. You know, and then if you don't pick, it doesn't have a real incentive to make another crop. But if you pick frequently, you can get, like in a big row of green beans, you might be able to pick enough to have a meal and a second meal to store once or twice or even three times a week with a big row of beans. The next thing is they flash freeze probably as good as any vegetable. And that means that they're one of the crops that you can grow a ton of and store a bunch of in the freezer. Yes, you can can them. Yes, you can uh, uh, pickle them. Yes, you can dehydrate them. Nothing is as good for preservation, though, other than flash freezing. And it's super simple. Take your beans, cut them to the size you want them to be when they're frozen. Steam them for about three minutes until they turn bright green. Lay them on a one-layer cookie sheet with a piece of parchment paper or wax paper, something like that, down so they don't stick. Throw them in the freezer until they're frozen solid. Throw them in a Ziploc bag, push the air out, and seal it up. That's it. If you want to uh, vacuum seal them, that's what we actually do. What I recommend you do then is you do exactly what I said. You get the vacuum seal bags that are also Ziploc after you, so they make them so you vacuum seal, but when you cut the vacuum seal portion off, there's a Ziploc to keep using them. Store about four to five meals per bag because you only eat so many damn green beans per meal. Flash freeze them all. Keep building that bag up until it's full, and they're all flash frozen so they don't stick together. And when it's full, vacuum seal it while they're frozen, and then that'll last a year easy. So you can put up a bunch of green beans, low-carb, high-nutrient density, easy to grow, and you just are taking care of them on a weekly basis as, as far as bringing in your harvest. And once a week eat green beans, and once a, week put them, once a week put them away, and you'll end up, and if you're in a six-month on, six-month-off climate for growing them like most people, with exactly enough to make it back until you start harvesting them again. It's pretty cool. Next up today, peppers. And I'm lumping in hot and sweet, and therefore, you know, a red pepper has slightly more carbohydrates than a green one, and a thick wall pepper, etc., because um, they have different densities. But a jalapeno versus a ghost pepper. How much ghost pepper are you going to eat, though, right? Um, but you're somewhere between 0.9, 9 tenths, to 1.25 net carbs per ounce, depending on your variety of pepper. And to me, peppers are one of those plants that once you figure out the varieties that do well for you and your climate and kind of their happy place, like for me, my happy place for my peppers is in my aviary, where they get shade for two, two to two and a half months out of the year under 60% shade cloth when it's a billion degrees here, and uh, they have perfect growing conditions. And I can produce more peppers than I can eat and give away. 
peppers are another plant, though, that really are a storage crop for preppers. And the beauty is unlike your green beans that have a real need to be blanched. That's why we do that steam before we freeze them. If you freeze a green bean and you don't steam it or give it a short boil first to blanch it and shut down the enzymic process in it, when you take it out, you'll have a green bean that looks great. It'll cook up and look like a beautiful, bright green. I mean, you can't even overcook it. It's just a beautiful, bright green until you try to eat. It tastes like a stick. It gets hard, and you can cook it until you have to boil it like you're making bone broth out of it until you annihilate it for it ever to get soft again. It's crazy. Peppers don't do that. Peppers, you want to store peppers for frying casseroles and stuff like that. Bring your peppers in, chop them to the size you want, throw them in a Ziploc bag, whip them in the freezer. Jack, what about when they stick together? Peppers aren't a problem. If you're doing, because peppers are not ever going to be a pepper again once you freeze them. They're going to be soft. They're going to have great flavor. They'll cook in the eggs nice and stuff like that. But they're never going to be something you put on salad. So you're going to cook smaller pieces of them. And once that bag freezes, just take it out and kind of crinkle it with your hands. They all come apart. You can take out whatever amount you want. So I love peppers for fresh. I love wrapping jalapenos with bacon and cheese. And I love them for putting them away. And that is one of the just beautiful things. And then your chili peppers, of course, they can dry and they can be seasoning and bring lots of flavor. So if you're not growing peppers and you're in this world, I kind of think you're missing a mistake. Next up is okra. And okra is one of those crops that people have a love-hate relationship with. You can grow lots of it. Almost nothing eats it other than people as far as pests. grows really big. It needs warm weather, but once the weather is warm and you get a plant up, you got to pick it a lot. If you don't pick it a lot, you, you end up with these really big, hard pods that you can't use for anything. You can roast the seeds and use them as a coffee substitute. It's not real good, but if you have nothing else, it'll work for that. Uh, it was done a lot as a replacement in the Confederacy uh, during the Civil War. Um, but the thing that people miss about okra is when we're in the, the low-carb world, of course, flowers and starches like cornstarch and things like that are out. And that leaves us with, you know, things like um, gargum, which I'm, I'm not real fond of, xanathan gum, which is fine, for, but for thickening. Well, okra is great at thickening stuff. That's why it's used so much in gumbo. So a little bit of okra added to like a beef stew or something turns that beef broth into something a lot more thickened. And so you don't end up having to... Uh, rely on simple carbohydrates like flour to make a thickening agent. Does it look like gravy? Not exactly. It looks more like gumbo looks, but it's good. And so it's good for that. And it's low in carbs, one net gram per ounce of chopped raw okra. Uh, note that all the numbers I'm giving you today by weight are in ounces. And the reason I do that is it's real easy to take whatever that number is and multiply it by however many ounces you have. If you have five ounces, one gram, five grams, see what I mean? It's way easier to say a cup. I don't like a cup because what's a cup to you? What's a cup to me? A cup of peppers. Did you chop them small or big? You see what I'm saying, right? So I believe in weight. Uh, okra, though, fantastic crop overall. Radishes. You're going to wait a minute, Jack. I've heard you say that radishes suck since you started doing this damn show. You've told us you can grow radishes in 25 days, and it just sucks because... They suck to eat, and you hate radishes, so why the hell are you talking about radishes? Well, I don't hate all radishes. I kind of like daikon done some certain different ways. But as I got into keto and started looking at what people are eating, I came across a thing called roasted radishes. And I thought, well, the only way you could make a radish something that I hate more 
than the radish that you pull out of the ground and wash and slice up in little slices and put in my salad with that really nasty bite to it. And I don't just like hot things. It's just a, I just don't like it is to make it hot and mushy. That just sounds disgusting. But if everybody says they're different, I'll try them. You roast a radish, 100% of that radish bite that most people don't like is gone. What's left is a potato-like, slightly sweet, maybe more turnip-like than potato-like in texture, but it doesn't taste like turnip to me. And that was when I, I did them with some bacon grease wrapped in foil thrown on the grill where they didn't really get any kind of char on them. You throw them in an air fryer or convection oven or something like that, hit them with a little bit of grease and some salt, uh, it's a game changer. And they are very low in carbohydrates. Uh, 0.46 grams per ounce. Less than a half a gram per net carbs per ounce. And there's, I'm not done with radish yet. I think there is potential here to do something like make a flavored salt. Something like using um, some sort of like a really cooked down beef stock. All right. And then coating that with salt so the salt's carrying that and then doing a light salting of the radishes to sweat out the excess moisture like you do zucchini squash to make zoodles and at the same time it's sucking in that beef flavor and I think if you did that you'd go a long way toward improving so I'm still playing with that but what I got from the most basic way of making them has changed my opinion about radishes forever and they are fast turnover crop they're not a high dollar crop But the fact that you can pop a few seeds in here and there in between and every 25 days pull out a crop and have a meal, you gotta, you got to look at at least trying them. Do what I did. Don't go grow on a shitload of radishes and find out you don't agree with Jack. They suck even when you cook them. Go to the store, buy one bunch of radishes, take them home and try playing with them. Look up roasted radishes online, look for some recipes, give them a shot and see you know what you got going on. Uh, next up is the one people think of as not low carb. If you eat a shitload of it, you would be right, and it can add up in weight pretty fast because it's, it's denser than your greens, but it's actually as low or lower than a lot of your greens. It's maybe a little bit higher than most of your greens, but still under one net gram per ounce. Tomatoes. Tomatoes, when you take the fiber out of them, are about 0.7 net grams per ounce. But again... If you're eating a massive amount of tomato sauce or a massive amount of tomatoes, especially tomato juice, because now you're taking away all the fiber, concentrated sugar, that's no good. That's no bueno. But if you are a low-carb eater, the good news is now that, like, two very successful cherry tomato plants and you're done. That's all you need. you got a long, continuous harvest, lots of great varieties. You pick them as you need them. As it, it, even like here, I get problems with blight. I get points where it's like time to take the plant out. You cut a whole um, bunch of green cherry tomatoes and set them somewhere, and they ripen off uh, off the plant. You know, so you can get a lot of bang for your buck out of a few cherry tomato plants. And most people enjoy tomatoes. And the beauty of tomatoes, they're one of those vegetables that everybody likes. I don't say everybody, most people like. And what that means is, if you have a surplus, they're very easy to give away and spread the gardening addiction with. So tomatoes are definitely on the list. Summer squash, I mean yellow and zucchini and any other, like Casablanca or whatever, summer squash. Trombuccino, etc., uh, when picked young, is about uh, 0.65, 60, 6, 65 hundredths 
65% of one gram per ounce. It's one of the lowest vegetables out there. And a lot of people think they don't like it because squash, my dad always say they call it squash because it tastes like squish. And um, I remember the first time I made like a uh, yellow and green squash a gratin for him when I was a kid, which had croutons in it, so that would be off today. But he was like, man, this stuff's good. I didn't overcook it and turn it into squish. But the best way I feel to make zucchini and yellow squash is either to make zoodles, which is where you make long strings out of it, or even if you just slice it kind of thin, And hit it with some salt. And people that I've talked to about this say, when you do this, it's very, very salty. Well, don't hit it with that much. It doesn't need much salt. It's a light sprinkling of salt. Kind of mix it up, put it in a colander, and let it drain. And cut it a little thicker than you'd think you'd want it. Because it's going to get a lot more dense, and the flavor and the texture is just a lot better. It makes a good noodle substitute. It's easy to grow, except if you are plagued by squash vine borers or too many squash bugs. But if you can grow it in your climate, in your region, without a lot of problems, I mean, where I grew it in Pennsylvania as a kid, you used to have to lock your car in the summer. You think, lock your car all the time. No, not where I grew up. You didn't even lock your house. But if you parked your car somewhere in the summer in town, you locked it and closed the windows the worst time of year to do it. Because if you didn't, when you came back, there's a damn bag of zucchini squash in the back seat somebody gave you, with air quotes. Because that's how easy it was to grow. So it's definitely a good crop. Zucchini, I have a hack for you. Everybody thinks if I let the zucchini get too big, it's all woody and blah, blah, blah. No, it's not true. Especially if you're making zoodles. What happens is the core, where your seeds are, does get, the seeds get too big and pulpy and they don't taste as great. Let your zucchinis get big. Bigger than you'd ever think. Cut them with at least, you know, three quarters of an inch of stem on them. They'll store like a winter squash, but they'll keep eating like a summer squash. I've never tried this with yellow squash. I've never had much luck with it here, so I don't know if this works with zucchini. I'm talking, I grow arm-sized zucchinis. And then you take a uh, julienne peeler, like you make angel hair pasta zoodles with, and you just shave down until you get to the seeds, and you still end up with a lot more product per squash that way. And you end up with a long-term storable crop. Give them that salt treatment, off you go. Fantastic. Uh, seed pumpkins. So my favorite seed pumpkin to grow is Austrian or Styrian Hollis pumpkin. Uh, they're the same plant. They just different companies call them Styrian or Austrian. Any Hollis pumpkin is probably going to be the only one variety I've ever seen. These are small pumpkins. Uh, they're you know I don't know. They're about the size of When you buy a basketball for a little kid that's not a real basketball, and one that you can easily, even as a small white guy, palm, one about like that, they're about that big. I don't own any other ball. They're like twice the size of a softball. And uh, there's a lot of seed ratio compared to the flesh of the pumpkin. Um, the pumpkin quality I have not found to be that great that comes from them. Uh, chickens. I don't know about rabbits, but I would think rabbits would eat it. Pigs love it. In Austria, they're grown for the seed, which is considered mostly an oil crop, and everything else is fed to pigs. And that's kind of where they became fed. It's not where they're from, but it's kind of where they became really a mainstream crop. Uh, they are not immune to your vine borers and bugs, but they're more resistant than just about any other pumpkin that I've grown. And the beauty of the seeds is they're wholeless. Now, they're not actually holeless. They just have a really thin, paper-thin hull. And when you roast them, it gets crisp. And then you basically have pumpkin seeds that you do not have to shell. You just pick them up and eat them. 
When we look at pumpkin seeds, we're at one net gram per ounce, and they're actually rather expensive to buy. So this is a great crop if you have the space for it, and especially if you have something to do with the flesh part of the crop. And all you got to do these, with these things is pop them in the oven with a little bit of salt on them at about 350 degrees for about 15 minutes, about halfway through that, about seven minutes in, get in there and stir them around and, and, and dry them out that way, crisp them up a little bit, put them in a jar. Uh, if you have a lot of them, vacuum seal the jars. And they're just an incredible crop. Next up, celery. I don't know how to say nothing about it. Everybody knows what the hell celery is. And all the wonderful things you can do with celery. Um, it is certainly good for cooking stews and soups and things like that. Um, it is almost, it's not because there's no such thing, but it's almost a negative calorie food. Even the carbohydrates that are digestible in celery beyond the fiber, and there's only three net grams per ounce of carbohydrate and celery. It's pretty much the only macronutrient in celery. There's really not any protein to speak of or fat to speak of. There's so much cellulose and so much work the body has to do. And so much work, especially if it's raw, that you have to do to chew it, it's almost a net loser to eat it. So you can almost eat as much of it as you want. You can figure out a way to ruin that for yourself, but you'd have to try. Um, to me, my problem with celery is it's always been difficult to grow from seed. I've never had much good luck with celery from seed. I met my buddy David, and we started doing aquaponics. He's like, what you do is you take, you cut your celery, put your core in your aquaponics, it grows back, and you use it as cutting celery. So unless you want to spread peanut butter on it or something like that, it's all the celery you could ever need from a few cores. Well, I did it, and it worked, and it took a long time for that core to really produce anything. Being me and being the guy that screws with shit, I started thinking to myself, self, how could you speed this up? So what I did is I stopped cutting the celery bottom off. And what I started to do is pulling the stalks off the celery from the outside in. And when I got down to there's like three or four stalks, that little heart, and it's nice core all there together, and there's already some leaves on it, I started putting that in my aquaponics system. Guess what? It grows back fast. It quickly goes to a bright green instead of that light, pretty color. And it is the best cutting and cooking celery you could ever eat. So then I said to myself, self, is, is aquaponics magic? And it almost is. It's science, but it's almost magic. And, and does it work if you put it into soil? And the answer is it does. It just takes a little time longer to take off. Then I said, well, self, what if you stick it in an aquaponics ebb and flow bed, leave it there until it turns green and just starts to root out and put that in soil? And that's, that is the magic right there. So if you have a small aquaponics system and you don't want to take a, you know, the whole damn grow bed up with celery, just use it to get your, your celery hearts started. Make sure they get some decent shade when you first plant them until they establish in soil. And you can just, every time you buy a head of celery, Use 95% of it and create a new plant. And it will grow for like a full season to a season and a half, and eventually it'll bolt. So it puts up seed, and once it starts to bolt and put up seed, the stocks get not usable anymore, and you just replace it with a new one. It's real, real simple. Green onions, same hack. Buy your green onions. You can plant them from seed if you want to. I buy green onions and stick them in the ground, stick them in the beds, whatever, and cut them off as I need to. I don't cut them and replant the tips. That was the other thing a lot of people do. And I started thinking, well, they're cheap. What if you buy like five bunches of them and stuck them all in there like they were starts and just cut them as you need them? And they get to a point where eventually they go to seed, they get, as big, they get bigger than leeks, and you got to start over. 
But if you let them go to seed, a lot of times they'll self-reseed, and then you have seedlings come up, and you don't do any work. So there's your green onions. They're 1.3 net grams per ounce. Ginger, yes, you can. Don't even know. Don't even care. Look it up by on how you use it, but use small amounts of it. But ginger is a very high dollar, very expensive thing to buy organically especially. You go to Whole Foods or any place that sells organic, Central Market, what have you, organic ginger, buy some organic ginger, Take the root and plant it till it's just exposed and keep it moist until it sprouts and starts growing. And it'll grow and that rhizome will just start running. It'll grow where it's a little below and a little bit above the ground. Put it in a big container. When it gets too cold out, bring it in the house. Grow it as a house plant. Put it back outside. When it fills that pot up, you know, take what you can use as you need it. Cut off another piece, start another pot, start another bed. If you do aquaponics, it does amazing. If you can dedicate an ebb and flow bed to it, you can grow way more in one ebb and flow bed than you can probably use in a year. Save one piece of it to replant next year. goes on forever, and now you're growing a tropical plant even in a temperate climate. Um, and it's incredible for health benefits and for seasoning. Next, cucumber. Cucumber is another one that people think, well, there's a lot of sugar in it. And there isn't. They, they kind of have a sweet taste, and the thing is, you know, a half a cup of cucumber weighs a lot more than a half a cup of lettuce. But straight up, when you measure cucumber by weight, it's about one net gram per ounce. So it's fine to throw an ounce or two of cucumber into your salad, especially if you're being light on your carbs somewhere else. Cucumbers, easy to grow. Everybody likes them. Um, you can make cucumber mint water out of them, which I think is a fantastic use for the ones you can't use up. They preserve good as pickles in vinegar. They preserve good as pickles in a fermented pickle. They are just fantastic, and again, everybody likes them. And you can grow a lot of them in a small amount of space. So I really think that belongs there. Now, the next one where you're going to go, oh, that's not low-carb, Jack. Don't believe that low-carb index glycemic response bull crap. And you're right. That the, the product people think of is high-carb, sweet potatoes. The tuber is high-carb. I eat a little bit of sweet potato every year, and even now that I am militant in what I'm doing, there'll be a couple times a year that I'll make some fries, and I'm going to make sweet potato fries out of purple Osaka sweet potato. I will always grow them, though, because, number one, they are a great calorie crop in case the zombies march. They are an emergency ration in the ground. In my climate, they can stay in the ground. When the top dies back, I mulch them real heavy, and they stay in the ground, and they come back next year and self-reproduce. That's, that's great as far as I'm concerned. I will lose some. Some will rot in the ground, but some, you know, out of, I put them in all my beds, and I just train the vines over the edge so the vines don't take up space in the beds. At least one bed every year will re-sprout for me. If one re-sprouts, I can make all the slips I want and replant everything with no effort. The greens are what I grow them for, though. The greens, are they taste like spinach. They grow when spinach won't grow. You wilt them into anything you'd wilt spinach into. I do not like them raw in a salad. Some people do that. I don't like them, and my ducks love them. So if I grow them in a bed that's off the ground the ducks can't reach, as they spill over and hit the ground, the ducks eat them as they hit the ground. And when there's too many, I just cut them off and throw them to the ducks, and the ducks get extra feed, and I'm making eggs. And I have a reserve crop, and I have a treat once in a while. So sweet potatoes, especially oriental, Purple sweet potatoes. The skins on them are so thin, if you scrub them with a brush, skin comes off. The flesh is white to yellow white. They taste almost like a regular potato. They do have a slightly lower glycemic index, but they have more carbs per ounce than white potato. So it's not something to eat in volume, but the greens, 
make them worth growing. Plus, they are a ground cover if you need that. Uh, next, and the last one, is one that almost no one thinks of growing, and, and more of us should grow. It used to be a commercial crop in the United States, uh, along with Jerusalem artichokes, where two big commercial crops that were sent over to Europe, and it's a native plant. Now, there are some improved varieties that get a lot bigger, uh, most notably out of LSU, but I'm talking about ground nut here, and I, uh, our European listeners uh, and Australian listeners often refer to ground nut as peanut because it's a nut. It grows in the ground. You see how that works, even though peanuts are a legume. This is not a legume. It is a tuber. It is also a tuber that fixes nitrogen. It grows as a vine. It likes wet, you know, continuously moist, I should say. Not really wet, but moist conditions. It loves creek banks with a little bit of shade. It is two net carb, 2.5 net carbs to the ounce. Now, there's something going on here that makes it really worth growing. Number one, a couple ounces of this subs in for a couple ounces of potato. And two ounces of this is about equivalent in carbs to like one ounce of potato. About five there, right? But if you're going to cheat with a tuber, this is the one to cheat with. And I have a link where you can learn more about the substance today that's in some, th some other things as well, including chicory root. Just, this tastes a lot better to eat than chicory root. It's called inulin. And inulin has a massive uh, moderating effect on blood sugar. So if you're going to have a meal where you're trying to stay under 10 carbs, but you're going to cheat today and go to 5, I mean 5 over like 15, and some of that came from groundnut, you could do a lot worse. I'm not saying you can sit down and eat a bowl of this stuff and shove down 40 carbohydrates and that of it. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that you can take these things and peel them and fry them or roast them, and they are like a sweet, nutty potato when you do that. Uh, they do not have the flatulence issue that Jerusalem artichokes do. They have a lot less carbohydrate than Jerusalem artichokes as well, and they have that inulin that helps balance blood sugar. By the way, if you include some Celion cinnamon in that meal, Celion cinnamon, which is true cinnamon, actually moderates blood sugar as well. So it's your little cheat that's not that big of a cheat. It's almost impossible to buy. It takes about two years to establish a bed. Once a bed's established, you can go out and pull some out whenever you want. They grow in strings, and they'll make lots of little ones. So you pull out the big ones, let the little ones get big. And as long as you can keep a like 60% mottled shade environment and keep that soil moist, they will grow. And in my, my uh, pepper nirvana... They're going to be pretty much in every bed from now on once I get that thing redesigned because it stays shaded in the heat of the summer, and they do great, and they don't, they don't bother anything else. Everything grows right in between and doesn't even care. Since they're a vine, if you don't keep on it, they can climb up and choke out your, your plants. So if you're growing lettuce or something like that, don't, and those beds don't. But, you know, if you're pepper beds and stuff like that, as long as you're willing to go in there and just control them because they're happy to spread out on the ground, consider ground nuts. And i got a bonus for you today. That's your 20 crops right there. We, we blew through that, didn't we? Uh, but your bonus today is sunflower microgreens. Um, per ounce, they're about 0.29 net carbs. And an ounce of microgreens from sunflower, pretty good amount. Incredible nutty, sweet, moist component they bring to a salad or as a side dish or whatever. And the, the bigger thing is they're not a perfect keto macro ratio, but they're closer than just about any other vegetable you can grow because they're 59% fat. Now, we want to be sitting around 70% fat, right, 5% carbohydrate, 
and then the balance in protein with keto. And we might even be 75% fat. But 70, if, you had, if you had a meal that was 70% fat and uh, 25% protein and 5% carbohydrate, I mean, that's keto as it gets. And what we have here is 12% carbs. So it's a little higher in carbs. So we're not going to like make this a mainstay. But who the hell is going to make them a mainstay anyway? I'm just saying you're kind of close because you're at 12 carbs, 12% carbs. I'm not grams, not 12% carbs, 59% fat, 29% protein. I mean, that is, if you could move some of the like the 7% carbs into the fat, you're batting a 1,000. So they are a great source of fat from a vegetable you can grow, and you can produce them like every 12 days. So I'm not going to get into how microgreens work today. And then most other microgreens are about a half a net carb. There's some other things in the microgreen world, but most of your like your arugulas and your cabbages and all are about a half of a gram uh, per ounce. So microgreens are something you can add a lot of flavor with, a lot of nutrient density with, and not a lot of carbs and have a lot of variety because you can grow, you know, this week you can grow radish microgreens. Next week, you can grow basil microgreens. The week after that, you can grow arugula. The week after that, you can grow something like, um, what's the stuff that tastes like cucumber related to comfrey, that borage, right? Or you could grow two, like radish and borage this week, you know, and then sunflower and arugula the next week, and then broccoli and radish the next week. And you can just keep alternating. You can have all this variety in a little bitty thing that grows on your countertop. Because you're not growing to sell to restaurants like John Dowie at Dowie Farms. You're growing for a family of four, two to four for most people, right? So that you don't need a lot. So to me, that's a great bonus. And what is the translation out of all this? What does this all mean? If you are a keto dieter and you have the space and the time, you should be gardening for quality and economic reasons alone. If you grow a garden based on you know 10 to 15 of the 20 options I gave you today, It is quite reasonable that you can put thousands of dollars a year back into your pocket. That gets freed up for your higher dollar, more expensive, high quality, you know, meats and things like that. that A lot of people on a budget say that they can't afford. And I think that's just fantastic in and of itself. Um, Then if you're actually doing eggs from your own chickens or ducks or something like that, even if you're not doing a meat crop, Man, you take those two together and that frees up that budget for that higher quality meat and dairy and you're eating fantastic. Now, what if you're not keto and you don't care and you're going to have potatoes and stuff? So do this anyway. Make this part of your diet and I promise you no matter what, you will be healthier than not and you'll save money, which you can free up. And, and you know, I think for most but now people with large gardens that eat a lot of tubers and stuff, you know, maybe growing potatoes and corn makes sense for you. But the stuff that I gave you today, this is a high-intensity, fast-turnover, high-production system that makes you money instead of costs you money. And that's what Lifestyle Design is all about, at least here at the Survival Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, remember a couple ways you can support us. One, become a member. I'm going to make a value proposition to you today outside of the direct return of investment from the discounts. If you listen to the show and put what we put and put out in practice and make it part of your life, I believe this show saves money and, and makes better lives. And if you feel that that's worth 20 cents a day, only on weekdays, not even count weekends, join the MSB because that's how much it costs for the information that you're getting for free.
Do it because it makes sense to support a show that will always be here to give you that much value. I, I don't believe, I believe there's podcasts that are more entertaining than mine. I believe that. I believe there's podcasts that go into one particular niche that are better than mine at, let's say, permaculture or gardening or straight-up prepping or something like that. I do not believe you can find another source of information online today, anywhere today, that gives you the diverse information, education, and hopefully some entertainment that we do on a total value. I believe we are the best value on the market, especially when we're free, but 50 bucks a year is cheap. Then get your money back with the discounts. So consider being a member today if you've never had before. I mean, I know our show has literally saved lives, so I know it's worth 50 bucks a year. Next up, the cheap way, because you don't have to spend any money you weren't going to spend anyway, just do your online shopping at tspaz.com. Uh, the item of the day I have for you today is called Ross Alhanut, Ross Alhanut Seasoning. This is basically the Moroccan answer to curry. It's like a much more refined, milder version of like a yellow Indian curry. So... It has turmeric in it, so if you've ever had a yellow curry, and you know there's a very distinct thing about yellow curries that's not in a green or a red curry, it has a little of that. But it's very mild in that. There's a lot of other things. that There's mace in this, cinnamon, cardamom, allspice, juniper, galangal, ginger, fenugreek, uh, anise, licorice, rose, along with things that you're more familiar with, like cumin and black pepper, paprika, Turmeric and cayenne and lemon peel. And then, you know, really things like you don't, unless you're a brewer, you probably never even heard of before, like Grains of Paradise, which is this kind of peppery thing. It's really amazing. So it's actually 26 different spices in this mix. And so you guys know me, I love to make my own seasoning mixes. But I can't afford to make, I, how much mace am I going to use in my life? How much juniper? How much fenugreek? How much licorice? Right? I mean, how much grains of paradise am I going to... I mean, there's so many things in here that I would buy, and then to make you know a couple ounces of this, I'd use a little bit of it and just sit there forever. So I'm big on like black pepper, I buy by the pound. Right? Cinnamon, I buy the, by the pound. I buy Celion cinnamon, again, by the way. You know, cardamom, I'll even buy cardamom by the pound. Uh, nutmeg, I buy a little at a time. I don't use that much of it. Juniper? It's useful, but I don't need a lot of juniper. Definitely don't need a lot of Fanning Geek definitely don't lead a, a ton of nutmeg or anise or licorice. And mace, I've never even used mace by itself in my life. Um, so I just think this makes more sense to buy. I have some good recipes I've talked about before with this stuff in the write-up today. But let me tell you something I did this last weekend from Buddy David when he came over. I just got some ground lamb, about a pound of ground lamb, chopped up two jalapeno peppers, And I took the seeds out. I should have left the seeds in at least one or half of one because it didn't have any heat. And then I used about a teaspoon of this and mixed it in. And then I formed that into kebabs. So I made, like, sausages and stuck them on a, a skewer. And I made about six of those. Oh, my God. Was that good. you got to try this stuff. It's never moved like I thought it would. Like, when I put this up, like, two or three people will buy it. You're missing out. Try this stuff. Trust me. That brings us to our song of the day. In an impromptu Jimmy Buffett week, I want to play all low-key Buffett songs for you today. Try to play some that you may have never heard. If you are a Jimmy Buffett fan and you actually you know, like buy his albums and listen to him regularly, I know you've heard this song. But you might learn something today. Because when I first, in, you know, not today, but when I first looked into the song, I learned something I didn't know. Um, this is a cover. It's called The Ballad of Spider John. And it was originally done by a guy named Willis Allen Ramsey. And even though this is a slow-tempo song, 
Uh, Willis Allen Ramsey's version was even a little slower, a little bit slower in the speed, in the tempo. And it might even, I hate to say this, in some ways be better than Jimmy's cover. But Jimmy's cover of this song is great. And it fits in with something we've been talking about a lot this week, which is understanding who you are and what you are and living the life you're supposed to live. See, Spider John is a guy that made his living as a thief. And he talks about himself in a real big way, but when you really listen to the words, you figure out what Spider John was. He was a petty thief. He was just a low-level thief. Made his way, taking what he had to when he needed to. And his life was going okay. He was okay living that life. Then he met a woman named Lily. He fell in love. And she thought he was a saint versus a sinner gone astray. In other words, he was for a while living a life, a good life. A sinner gone astray. You see what I'm saying? But word got around and Lily left town. So Lily found out who Spider John really was. And it wrecked him. And by that time, since word had got around, maybe some of his past deeds were starting to catch up with him. He ran away, got on a freighter, started working like as a merchant marine or something like that. Disappeared. Classic story. Man goes to sea, nobody looks for him no more. Been doing it for 20 years now. He'll do it till he dies because he's got nothing else left. But if you see Lily, give her my regards. With that story, you can see why Jimmy Buffett would have recorded this. Jimmy Buffett released the song in 1974. It was originally released by Willis Allen Ramsey in 1972. You have to understand something, too, that when Jimmy released this, um, his first top 40 hit was Come Monday. We played that on, on Tuesday. That song was on the same album this one was. Jimmy didn't have a top 40 hit until 1974, and he didn't become a real star until 1977 when, of course, Margaritaville was released. So when Jimmy did this song as a cover, it wasn't some big thing that all of a sudden made William Willis Allen Ramsey a bunch of money. And this song has never, from either one of them, done really well on the charts. Again, a lot of people in the world have never heard either version of it. You're going to hear the Jimmy Buffett version today, but I have a link to the original if you want to hear it. But I think you'll agree when you listen to the song, it had everything it needed to be a hit, except somebody recording it that was known for producing hits at the time that it was released. I don't know that it would be a hit today, but I think in the 70s it had everything it needed except the right gas behind it. Even Jimmy Buffett couldn't change that. But it's a good song and a good story and a lesson. We should live life to our best ability at all times, and we should make the change as quick as we can because sometimes even when we make the change, if we've done enough wrong, it can be too late. So don't wait any longer. Whether it's improving your life or living a better life, Start as soon as possible, and as soon as possible is now. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. I'm in between freights and the show wouldn't be obliged if you'd share your company. I know this may sound strange. But if you wait till the song is sung And the story is told You might come to understand Why I'm old and thin And devil's been Running out of time When I long ago held A raw flush in my hand Why was
and handsome. Yes, old Spider John was a loaded hand, taking ransom. Then one day I met Diamond Dale. She was the sweetest thing. I declare that the summer breeze had ever blown my way. But lately she had no idea my illustrious occupation. She thought I was a saint, not a sinner. But you see that the word got around and Lily left town. Never saw her again. Tossing and turning, causing my heart to grieve. Why was a supermarket fool? I was a motorbank's pigeon. Robbing my hometown. You can 